no matter how negligent they are, no matter how toxic the ingredient, no matter how grievous your injury, you cannot sue them. And that removed from the industry any incentive to make vaccines safe. And every injury that they create, every chronic disease, is a gold mine for those same four companies. So we've got this amazing business proposition because of this perfect storm that makes this an amazing business for these mega billion dollar companies. What does this have to do with why we should protect medical freedom? Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to The Vibe Show. I've been so excited about my interview today with possibly the most well-known interview uh, that I've ever done, or I should say the person I'm interviewing is the most well-known. It's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. of Yes, That Kennedy Family. Recently, the Kennedy family came together and issued a letter about their support for the vaccine industry and their dismay over um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s advocacy for children's safety issues, in particular his stance on vaccines. And I've sort of watched his career as he has uh, taken a stronger stand and made more public statements and joined together with other people. He's the founder of the Children's Health Defense. He's chairman of the board. He's chief legal counsel. He's an attorney by background. And the mission of Children's Health Defense is something I think we can all get behind. It's to end the epidemic of children's chronic health conditions by working aggressively, and he certainly does that, to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards. So Children's Health Defense is about much more than vaccine safety. And in this interview, we got to the end of our hour and he had to move on. And so uh, there were questions I wanted to ask him at the end, including about his um, advocacy as well um, in the World Mercury Project. He believes that vaccines would be a lot safer if we get the mercury out of it. But you know what? Aluminum replaced mercury in a lot of vaccines many years ago. And it looks like the evidence shows it to be just as dangerous and causing just as many adverse events. And so Mr. Kennedy was actually named one of Time Magazine's Heroes for the Planet for his success in leading the fight in a completely different arena. He helped really restore the Hudson River. Um, he is just got his finger in a lot of different pies. He's a clinical professor at Pace University School of Law. And he's a graduate of University of Virginia Law School there in my home state. And he also has a master's degree in environmental law. In this interview, I ask Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a lot of hard-hitting questions about specific vaccines, about uh, vaccine safety issues, about when and why we saw these spikes in childhood developmental disorders, and many other issues. I think you'll find this a fascinating conversation. I do want to mention, just because I've heard uh, Robert say this in other interviews, that he has, I think it's probably a lifelong thing um, called spasmodic dysphonia. So you will notice that his voice sounds a little bit different. It's it's um, an issue where there are twitches in the voice box or the larynx. And so that's what you're hearing here. He's, he doesn't have the flu or anything like that. But I hope you're as excited as I am to talk with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So welcome to the Vibe Show, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Thanks for having me. Well, I've got a lot of questions for you. You've done so much amazing work to champion children. Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about how the health of children is declining and what links you've found to different culprits in the environment um, with all these epidemics we've got in childhood illnesses, developmental disabilities, et cetera. Well, there was an HHS study that was done in 1986 that looked at chronic disease in children. And at that point in the American population, 12.8% of children had chronic disease. Today, it, in a uh, 1999 study by HHS, 
there were 54% of children. Um, so that's a dramatic rise. And those chronic disease or allergic diseases like, um, like food allergies, peanut allergies, anaphylaxis, eczema, asthma, and then a lot of autoimmune diseases, Guillain-Barre, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes, um, et cetera. And then the neurodevelopmental disorders, which now affect one in six children, ADD, ADHD, speech delay, tics, Tourette syndrome, um, and of course, ASD and autism. And then there are a number of other illnesses that, and Tourette's um, and tics. And there are another number of other illnesses that have also become epidemic suddenly beginning around 1989, uh, including SIDS, which is now the primary killer of, um, of children. And if you look, take a list, look at all of those diseases and, you know, collectively there's uh, probably 150 of them. Every one of them without exception are listed on the product insert of the 72 vaccine doses now given to our children as side effects of the vaccines or potential side effects. Um, suspected side effects of vaccines. So there are many culprits for what's happening to our children. In fact, there's a scientist called Phil Landrigan, very, very famous toxicologist um, who has kind of listed the suspects for, you know, for this, this wave, this unprecedented wave of, of chronic diseases that are now debilitating an entire generation of children since 1989. And incidentally, when, when Congress asked EPA, when did the epidemic begin? And specifically of autism, EPA drew a red line and said the gateway year was 1989. So something changed dramatically in 1989. So if you were born prior to 89, your chance of having chronic disease is around 12%. If you're born afterward, your chance of having chronic disease is 54%. Phil Landrigan named a number of suspects. There are neonicotinoid pesticides, glyphosate, which is the pesticide in Roundup, which became ubiquitous you know, around the same time. Um, cell phones, uh, PFOAs, uh, um, EMIs, and a number of other uh, sonograms or ultrasound and a number of other um, culprits. But there's none of those culprits that absolutely fits in lockstep the injuries that are explains the injuries that happen to our children as the changing vaccine schedule. The vaccine schedule changed dramatically in 1989. The reason for that is Congress passed a law, the VICA, the Vaccine Act in 1986, which gave immunity from liability to manufacturers of vaccines. So that no matter how, um, no matter how negligent they are, no matter how toxic the ingredient, no matter how grievous your injury, you cannot sue them. And that removed from the industry any incentive to make vaccines safe. And the reason that they wanted that, the vaccine, the pharmaceutical companies pushed for that is they said they were getting sued so much for the existing vaccines that they were no longer profitable to make. In other words, the vaccines that they had were so dangerous that they could no longer profitably make them unless they were given full immunity from liability. And once they were given that immunity, there was no reason for them to make them safer. In fact, they have a lot of incentive to make them more dangerous because they can't be sued and every injury that they create, every chronic disease, is a gold mine for those same four companies. So their biggest blockbuster drugs are the drugs that treat asthma, like Advair, that treat ADD, like uh, Concerta and Adderall and, um, and Ritalin, that treat diabetes and that treat um, uh, allergic reactions like $600 EpiPens.
and that has now the vaccine industry since then has grown from a $1 billion industry to a $50 billion industry. But the chronic disease industry is a $500 billion industry. And the chronic diseases um, that are most profitable are all the ones that are listed on the inserts of vaccines as suspected side effects. So the, in 1989, the Congress removed, or 1986, Congress removed liability or gave them protection from liability, complete immunity from liability, and they became hugely profitable because suddenly you had a product where there was no advertising cost and no marketing cost because it's mandated for 78 million children. And the margins are very, very good on vaccines for those companies. Um, they can't lose the patents like they can with other, um, um, because they're, they're kind of given permanent patent protection because they're given monopoly status um, by the, uh, you know, by FDA and by CDC because those specific vaccines are mandated. And then they also have another huge benefit, which is they are exempt from safety testing. And this is, so none of the, not a single one of the 72 vaccines that are now mandated for our children have ever been tested against an inert placebo. In other words, they have not been safety tested. And the, that exemption is an artifact of the CDC's uh, legacy as the public health service. CDC was formerly known as the public health service, which was a quasi-military agency. And the vaccine program was launched as a response to a potential biological attack on our country by the Russians. And they, uh, the regulators and the government wanted us to be able, if the Russians attacked us with anthrax or some other biological agent, be able to develop a vaccine, manufacture it, and then deploy it very quickly without regulatory burdens. And if they called it a medicine, they would have to do placebo testing on it. They would have to do randomized testing that takes years. But if they called it something else, they felt they wouldn't have to do that. So they called them biologics. And that way they exempted them from the, um, from the need to safety test them. So nobody knows what the risk profile is of any of these vaccines. And nobody can say scientifically whether that vaccine is causing more harm and more deaths than the disease would have. And that's a big problem for our society because coterminously, we saw this explosion in chronic diseases. And if you look at the neurological disorders, um, they're clearly, the, the, the clearest culprit is mercury and aluminum in vaccines. And the reason for that is you, the, the timeline is so clear that this began in 1989. And that year it began affecting every demographic um, Cubans in Biscayne Bay, Miami, to Inuit in Homer, Alaska. And it affects boys at a four to one ratio to girls. There's only one toxic that meets all of those criteria, and that's mercury, which was ubiquitous in the vaccines at that time. And mercury um, is, mercury impacts boys disproportionately to girls. Um, and the reason for that is that testosterone amplifies the neurotoxicity of the mercury molecule, whereas estrogen tends to wrap the, mer the mercury molecule and protect the female brain. So the, 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 the girls who get impacted by autism are usually high testosterone girls. There's a number of studies that show that. And many of them look kind of boyish, but it disproportionately harms boys. And, um, and the only demographic that appears that was not affected beginning in 1989 are the demographics that were not vaccinated. For example, the Amish. 
Um, but, you know, where you don't see um, these huge autism numbers in the Amish populations, UPA actually did a study of the Amish, I think it was in 2005, um, with a reporter called Dan Olmsted, where they went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they could not find a single case of autism, and there should have been hundreds of them. And then they did a similar study, a follow-up study among homeschool kids in Chicago, and found the same effect that among unvaccinated children, they could not find any autism. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist, because it does. There's other things. Autism is just brain damage. You know, it's encephalopathy. It's not, and then a, what, you know, what we call autism is really a constellation of symptoms that are, you know, very different with each child, but have some overall similarities. And, it, but it's just brain damage. And we know that mercury causes brain damage. We know that aluminum, which replaced the mercury in 2003, when they removed the mercury from the pediatric vaccines, they loaded the new vaccines down with the aluminum. And that also causes the similar kinds of brain damage. Okay, so we've got the best business idea in the world um, because your demographic is every human being in the world and you have no legal liability for your product if it has, uh, if it causes any damage. And you've got governments all over the world who will even subsidize the sales all over the globe. And you've got an army of hundreds of thousands of doctors who not only will sell the product, but they'll also bully anybody um, who doesn't buy it. And by the way, the doctors, uh, particularly pediatricians, are making a killing on vaccines and, and in a number of different ways because they'll tell you, well, we don't, you know, the margins on vaccines for us are not very good, but um, the vaccines provide them other, is a profit center for them. For one thing, it causes a lot of walk-in traffic. Um, and because the, it, you know, when I was a kid, I only went to the doctor when I was injured. I didn't go for regular wellness visits. But now children come for these regular wellness visits um, which creates foot traffic in those offices and revenue for those offices that is steady. I, I talked to a doctor um, who is a, you know, who's a, a famous doctor in Minnesota called uh, Pat Zajac. And he has in his practice, I think he has 50 or 60,000 families. And I said to them, there's only three doctors. I said, how do you, treat that many patients. And he said to me, because they're never sick. And, you know, they don't have the, they, they don't have the scheduled visits that you have if you're vaccinating people all the time. The insurance companies, the, the vaccine companies give kickbacks to the doctors that are laundered through the insurance companies. So they give to the insurance company, they'll give like Blue Cross Blue Shield, or Kaiser, they'll give a volume-based discount based upon the number of vaccines purchased by that insurance company's customers. So for example, they may sell the, the let's just say the MMR vaccine for, um, for $12 a piece for the first million shots and that and $6 a piece for the second million. And those numbers are not real, but they're, you know, they're uh, schematic. And so the insurance company now has a big incentive to push a lot of vaccines. So it incentivizes the physicians by saying, and we have the contracts now from Blue Cross Blue Shield with their physicians where they say, you, we're going to give you a, um, a per vaccine bonus that's very large. Um, it's, it's hundreds, if not thousands of dollars per child. Um, but you only, and it couldn't, it can amount to tens of thousands of dollars annually, um, or hundreds of thousands, depending on the size of your size of your practice. But we're only going to give it to you if 
you can show that 75% of the children in your practice are fully vaccinated. And by that, they mean that they have received every vaccine on time. So if any child is even a day late for any of the 72 shots or 72 vaccines, they, that child is not scored as compliant. That's non-compliant. So the, the doctors are under tremendous pressure to vaccinate, fully vaccinate every kid in their practice because if they get under that 75% threshold, they lose the entire bonus. And that bonus is the profit margin for many of these practices. So, um, you know, and that's why the doctors, you know, you people wonder why is my pediatrician so angry at me? Why is he threatening to throw me out of the practice if I don't vaccinate? You know, why is he taking his choice away from me? And the reason is that now this week there's a video circulating that is a video that was done by the actor Rob Schneider and it absolutely is brilliant. And they called he did a video of phone calls to 872 doctors, pediatricians offices in the state of California. And he pretended to be the parent of a child who is unvaccinated. And he asked the pediatrician, can I join your practice? And everyone, every single one of the 872 he called said, no, we will not take unvaccinated children in our practice. Oh. And the reason for that is because the insurance companies and the, um, and the pharmaceutical companies have rigged the system of kickbacks so that the amount of money that flows to the pediatricians, if they can force their practice to comply, is enormous and the losses that they suffer if they fail to get their practice their their clients to comply is also enormous it's devastating for the practice um going back to pat sajak i believe he's the pediatrician who's also an mba and has a phd in special ed and also a pediatrician medical doctor and a father of eight and he's really out there publicly um i'm just bringing this up because robert mentioned him that he takes thousands and thousands of more kids into his practice. He is a, a self-confessed former vaccine bully who uh, started really diving into, he says he spends at least an hour a day studying vaccine issues and he has come to con a different conclusion. So I believe his patients are not vaccinated and that's why I just want to go back and touch on that because the reason he can take thousands more is that they're not, um, he can take thousands more because they're not sick because they didn't get vaccinated. He is the pediatrician who's out there saying, listen, I've been in practice for decades and my sickest patients are the ones with vac who are fully vaccinated. My sometimes sick patients are the ones who are partially vaccinated and my, my, my healthy patients are the ones who didn't get vaccinated at all. Um, and then I, I, I'm going to go find that Rob Schneider video. That's super interesting. I want to mention that over 20 years ago, I was kicked out of a pediatrics practice. Let's see, my child is now 22 so 21 years ago, I got kicked out of a pediatrics practice because I was there for an ear infection. And the the pediatrician said, is she fully vaccinated? And I said, no. And she said, and she just like froze. And she said, why not? And I said, just by my choice. And she said, then you're not welcome here. Get out. And um, so I asked why. And they said it was because, and it's become very clear to me that you're right. Because I've actually asked pediatricians, you know, why they kick people out of their practice. And... I have learned that they're not profitable if you get only one vaccine, you're only vaccinated against one disease per office visit. Their overhead makes that an unprofitable visit. 85% um, of the revenues that come into a pediatrics practice apparently goes to overhead. And so they really have to increase their revenues. They got to get three shots in your kid um, or three diseases. And so, but I do want to mention that I, and of course this is 21 years ago and I don't know if she would still do this, but the pediatrician I then went to, I called them up and I said, I have unvaccinated children. Will you take my four children as patients? And a female pediatrician, uh, her name is Melissa Kendall in Orem, Utah at Utah Valley Pediatrics. She did take my child. And I said, I said, um, will you allow my children into practice? And she said, yes, vaccines are controversial. I understand 
Um, and she treated my children. I mean, I, they were never seen for anything. I mean, we, I think we got some warts burned off and we got scout physicals. But um, I want to go back to uh, another question that we were we were talking about a minute ago. So we've got this amazing business proposition where they're just unfettered and they can't get sued. And every single human being in the world is a potential customer of their product. So these four pharmaceutical companies... Um, more are coming. I'd love for you to comment on how many and what this has to do with, this is, you you lawyers would call this, um, oh, I can't remember the word, but like, I think leading, leading the witness or something like that. But if we have a lot more um, vaccines in development because of this perfect storm that makes this a, an amazing business for these mega billion dollar companies, what does this have to do with why we should protect medical freedom? It's a big question I'm asking. Well, I mean, it's almost irrelevant that there's more in production. There's, you know, there are, there's about, um, according to FDA, they now have 273 new ones in the pipeline, but the, the ones that they're giving us already are already too much. And they're, many of them are clearly causing more harm than good. If you look at the hepatitis, B vaccines and even the flu vaccine. I mean, the Cochrane collaboration um, and the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, which are probably two of the most reputable um, science organizations in the world, have done meta reviews of the flu vaccine, and they've repeatedly concluded that the flu vaccine is is worthless, and that it is, and that it's it's costing it's creating all of these social costs including just the money but also that you're more likely to get the flu in subsequent years that we're losing natural herd immunity that you get from having natural flu infections that, that protect you against pandemic flus when they do come whereas the flu shot does not and that the flu shot um you know there's this this study by Cowling that shows that the kids who get the flu shot had the same, this is a randomized study, kids who got the flu shot have the same rate of flu as kids who don't get it, but the kids, the vaccinated kids have uh, 4.2 times the rate of non-flu infections. Oh, other respiratory illnesses that the flu shot actually ruins your immune system. Now, the DBT vaccine, um, it, it, you know, we, we now have numbers for that because the CDC refuses to do this kind of studies that you would need to do in order to say this vaccine is, um, is, is solving more problems than it's causing. And that's what everybody wants to know. You know, people would vaccinate if they believe that the vaccination was making them healthier. And that's what we need to know. But you don't know that unless you do a vaccinated versus unvaccinated study, which is also known as a placebo study. Um, and But you can do them retrospectively if you have a good database. You can look in the past and you can look at people who got the flu shot and compare them to similarly situated groups that didn't. And then you can look at outcomes and you can do that for any vaccine. The problem is that this, the database that would be most valuable for doing those studies is called the Vaccine Safety Data Link. And it is the database and vaccine records and health records for millions and millions of Americans that have been archived by the HMOs, the 10 biggest HMOs. CDC controls that database. Congress funded it and ordered them to, to, um, to archive it in order to, um, in order to make vaccines safer. But the CDC does the opposite. It won't let anybody in there who's independent. And CDC did its own study of that database and kept it secret in, in 1999. And that study found that children who were vaccinated with the hepatitis B vaccine within the first 90 days had an 1100% greater chance of getting an autism diagnosis than kids who did not receive that vaccine. And when they saw that, they, um, 
they hid the database. They gave it to a private company so it wouldn't be susceptible to um, freedom of information requests. And they've kept it off limit to scientists ever since. Um, but, so you could do it on that. The CDC has blocked everybody from doing that kind of study. And if, if you try to do one in this country, you're blackballed, your funding disappears, you can't get it published. However, the, a group of scientists from Scandinavia were able to do one on the DBT vaccine in 2017. The diphtheria, tetanus, vaccine is the most popular vaccine in the world. It's the most important vaccine because it's the vaccine that the World Health Organization um, measures national compliance with vaccination by the number of children who are given that vaccine in your country. So in developing countries in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, virtually every kid gets this vaccine. Nobody would ever done a safety study on it. And Peter A.A.B., who is the world's greatest authority on African vaccine program, he's the winner of the highest honor in Scandinavia given to research scientists, and he has impeccable credentials. He led a team in 2017 that looked, because they found in the nation of Guinea-Bissau, for 50 years, the Danes have financed a state-of-the-art health clinic there that weighs every child in the country at three months and it weighs them at six months of age subsequently. And in 1980, they began giving children on that three-month visit a DPT vaccine, but they would only give them the vaccine if they were fully 90 days old. If they were 89 days old, they would wait and give it on the six-month visit. So as it happened, for that 40-year period, half the children in the country between the ages of two months and five months were vaccinated and half were not. And it was completely randomized, so it was the perfect natural experiment. And AAB and his team went back and looked what had happened to those kids. And what he found was, the, and this was a study financed by the Danish government, what they found was that the children who were vaccinated had 10 times the death rate of unvaccinated children. And, that, and they found that the DPT vaccine was protecting children against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. But the kids were dying of unrelated infections who had, were vaccinated. Uh, they were dying of malaria and bilharzia and dysentery and anemia and nobody had connected the dots for 30 years that these were the kids who were dying were all the vaccinated kids, not the unvaccinated ones. And what AAB concluded and his team was that the vaccine was killing many more children than it was saving. And subsequently, about three months ago, Peter Ghosh, who is one of the founders of the Corcoran Collaboration, which is you know, 30,000 independent scientists who kind of try to look over Farmer's shoulder and keep them honest. Um, and Peter Ghosh is one of the most respected scientists on earth. And he did a meta review of all the literature on the DBT and, um, and corroborated the Peter A. A. B. study, which is known as the Morganson study, the 2017 study, and said, yes, this vaccine is actually killing more children than it is saving. And um, if our objective is to reduce mortalities in children, we should immediately stop using this vaccine. So the question is, this vaccine was used for 40 years, and nobody noticed that it was killing more people than it was saving. And the question is, could that be happening in our country where we now have 72 vaccines that are mandated? Nobody has done a safety study on them. And could they be causing more injury than they're avoiding? And the answer is, and we already know this because we have the science on this, that most of them are actually killing and injuring more people than the problems that they're avoiding. Hmm. You know, in 2015, you did a video that I was watching the other day. And you started out by saying, listen, I am pro-vaccine. I vaccinated all of my six children. I believe in vaccines. And I've 
been curious ever since then. And I saw a debate on Facebook about this. And I said, hey, I'm going to interview him next week and I'm going to find out. Um, you were talking about basically how Mercury is the culprit. Since 2015, have you changed your stance on that? I was curious if you said I'm pro-vaccine because you, like me, are very frustrated with the fact that we, um, those of us who speak up, ask questions, point a flashlight on the the data, speak speak up for the safety of children. Um, everybody just wants to marginalize us with this anti-vax label. Were you saying that so that you don't get dismissed as anti-vax or has your opinion changed at all since 2015 that mercury is the only problem? Because I feel like there's a lot of problems with vaccines beyond mercury. Yeah, and I agree with you. And particularly, I think aluminum is a problem, but there's also other issues as well. And, you know, I'm pro-vaccine as long as the vaccines are tested and proven safe and proven effective. In other words, if it's a medicine that is going to solve, that is going to, um, that is going to avert more in injuries than it's going to cause, that it is going to um, avert more deaths than it's going to cause. And we can say that that's good medicine. Um, but, you know, we have to know the risk and you have to have informed consent. You can't give anybody a medication against their will. That's to me, that's kind of crazy. Well, and let's let's talk about that because um, you just said that there are 273 vaccines in development, and I'm sure not all of them will come out of development. They'll fail, you know, the the basic criteria of the clinical trial. But let let's say 50 more come out in the next 10 years, and we're already so loaded up with um, 72 required doses of vaccine by the time you're 18. What do you have to say about, I believe, 30 states um, looked at medical freedom bills and some states lost their right. People in the state of California, Washington, New York lost many of their medical freedoms. If we have many, many more vaccines coming out, we already have one in six children, like you said, who have de developmental disorder, 54% um, of children, like you said, um, have a diagnosed disease. These are children. We haven't even made it to adult adulthood yet. And if there are really clear links between these spikes in disease rates or these increasing disease rates and vaccines, then how important is it that we retain medical freedom for religious exemptions and medical exemptions? I believe some states have lost the right completely to almost all exemptions of any kind, even even kids who in some states who have been previously vaccine injured. I know that Children's Health Defense is involved in some legal actions. Talk a little bit about what it means that we have all these additional vaccines coming down the pipeline potentially, and we might lose our medical freedom. To me, that's almost an irrelevancy because we, we already have 72 vaccines that are untested. I don't think that it's fair to give people anything against their will, and particularly a zero liability product that has not been safety tested, at, where the efficacy testing is dubious, and you're gonna force a human being against their will at the threat of losing their constitutional right to a public education, you're going to force them to take that medication. I mean, I don't even know, even if it was one vaccine, you, I don't see how you can do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm also concerned just about, you know, toxic body burden, you know, like more is worse. So I, when I was in grad school, I was forced to get the flu vaccine to do an internship. And I got so close to internship when they told me this, that there was no chance of me getting another another internship. So I did it. And I was interested to hear the piece of data that you shared a little bit ago, that people who get the, the flu vaccine are the same, have the same likelihood of getting the flu as people who didn't get the flu vaccine. But they're also 4.2 times as likely to get many non-flu infections. 4.2 times more likely. 4.2 times more likely. And I was sick 10 times that winter after getting the flu vaccine. I actually got the the actual flu, which I've never had before in my life that I know of. I mean, people should know that 
you know, they may think, oh, I've never had the flu and it's probably because I got the flu shot. You probably maybe have had the flu. Most people get the flu, never get diagnosed with it. It's mild. It's not the horrible thing that you hear about. But I got the actual, got diagnosed with it that like very, very ill after getting the flu vaccine. And I'm not suggesting that the flu vaccine directly caused the flu, but I have never been sick like that for a winter. I usually get sick with a cold every year or two for a day. There are lots of those stories. Yeah. And, you know, those stories are confirmed in the scientific literature that the more flu vaccines that you get, the more likely you are in subsequent years to get the flu and in that year to get a non-flu infection. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'd love for you to talk about the Gardasil vaccine and the corruption behind it, because I think you are behind a lawsuit against Merck. Yeah, I am. The Gardasil vaccine is, is the one vaccine that I would just tell everybody, do not get this vaccine because it is, if you get it, you are going to do damage to yourself and you're not, and there's zero evidence that vaccine prevents cancer, uh, cervical cancer, and there is abundant evidence that it actually causes cancer. And all of the best evidence against that vaccine comes from Merck's own clinical trial. So cervical cancer kills um, 2.3 out of every 100,000 Americans. A very, very low number. And the average um, year of death is 58 years old. So you're giving a injection to a nine-year-old girl that is supposed to protect them against the disease 58, 50, or uh, what is it, 50 years later. And of course, if it doesn't, you know, they have no recourse against Merck. Um, Merck, the guys at Merck who are, you know, saying, oh, don't worry, if you take this, you won't get cervical cancer are going to be long gone by then. So it's the perfect scam. And there's, you know, of course, there's no clinical study that shows that it actually works against cervical cancer. Um, and in fact, their own studies show that if you were, if you were exposed to the HPV virus prior to getting that vaccine, that your chances of getting uh, stage three cervical lesions, which does not necessarily mean you're going to get cervical cancer, but it's an indicator, is 46% greater than unvaccinated girls. So for that cohort, there's actually demonstrably raises your chance of getting the cervical cancer. So the question is, how many people have been previously exposed? Well, there are numerous studies that show that prior to age 10, about 30% of the population has HPV because it's not sexually transmitted. It's sexually transmitted, but it's, it's transmitted much more casually. Um, so many people get exposures in the birth canal. And then after that, just being handled by doctors and nurses who maybe haven't washed their hands well enough and daily contact for the rest of their lives. So before age 10, your chance of being exposed is 30%. And afterwards, it goes up to like 75% for some cohorts. And for those people, which is a majority of the population, it's more like, by their own admission, it's more likely to give you cancer than, um, than if you didn't take it at all. So it's a hoax. Not only that, but the death rate, the, it was killing, you know, the girls, the number of girls that died during the clinical trial was, was double the number, the background level for death. Oh, twice as many girls, they didn't have a placebo group, so you can't measure placebo group against a, um, against a study group, the girls who got Gardasil. You can look overall, what they did is, you know, the biggest hoax that they did, that Merck did, it didn't want to have a placebo because it didn't want to reveal what was going to happen. So 
everybody agrees that the worst part of that vaccine is the aluminum adjuvant. An adjuvant is something, you know, just, just so people know this, the vaccine is, main, is made of an antigen, and the antigen is the viral particle that has been disabled in some way. So it won't give you, it's either dead or disabled. So it won't give you the full disease, but it will, it, it will, it will get your body to develop an immune reaction for the next time it spots that virus. That's the antigen. But what, um, what vaccinologists found very early on is that the antigen, particularly in a dead virus vaccine like Gardasil, the antigen alone does not provide you with, um, with immunity of a long enough duration or that's robust enough to prevent the disease. And particularly with vaccines like Gardasil, where you're, you're giving it to them at age nine and it's supposed to be protecting them 50 years later, you need a really durable antibody response. And vaccinologists found out very early on that a way to do that is to add something horrendously toxic to the vaccine because your body associates the antigen with that toxic chemical. So vaccinologists started adding mercury to vaccines, which is the most neurotoxic element in the universe that is not radioactive and aluminum and squalene and stuff that is really, really bad. And vaccinologists are not toxicologists. The two disciplines tend to hate each other. And um, because vaccinologists didn't want anybody saying, well, what happens to the squalene or what happens to the aluminum or what happens to the mercury after it promotes that response? The vaccinologist gets his license from the response. He doesn't care what's going to happen to the mercury afterward. The toxicologists were saying, well, wait a minute, what if it's going into the brain? What if it's going into these other organs? This is really bad stuff. So, with, with Gardasil, they had to use the most toxic substance that we know of that's ever been put in a vaccine, which is something called AHHS. It's, an, it's a form of aluminum um, that, uh, that immediately crosses the blood-brain barrier and lodges in your brain. And it, it may stay there. The studies show that it stays there. It indicates that it may stay there for decades, causing inflammation. Um, but it is so toxic that it promotes a very, very durable antibody response. And so, but everybody believes the reason that all these girls are getting so horrendously sick and dying from Gardasil is because of the aluminum adjuvant. So when they did the studies, instead of giving half the girls the vaccine, 20,000 girls the vaccine, and the other 20,000 girls a saline solution that looks like the vaccine, which is what you're supposed to do, they gave 10,000 girls the vaccine and 10,000 girls the pure adjuvant. So just a pure neuro shot of neurotoxin. And then they looked what happened. And of course, in the study group, nine of the girls died. But in the aluminum group, nine died. So they said, okay, we're okay. You know, it's the same. How is that, how is that ethical at all? To... It's not ethical, of course. And then in the study group, 2.3% of the girls got autoimmune disease within six months. And the, but they said, hey, that's okay, because... In the aluminum group, 2.3% got autoimmune disease within six months. And so um, you have, so, and that's what they did. That's the game they played. And so your chance, if you buy that Gardasil vaccine, your chance of getting an autoimmune disease within six months is a thousand times your chance of dying of cervical cancer. It's one out of 40. One in 40 girls are gonna get some autoimmune um, injury from the vaccine. And this is what their own studies show. It's anybody can look this up. You just go 
to vaccine insert and then look at table nine and it will show you if your doctor tries to get you or your daughter to take that vaccine say to the doctor wait a minute look at the vaccine insert table nine and then show it to them it says 2.3 percent of the girls in the study got autoimmune disease within six months and ask your doctor is it worth that risk a one in 40 risk if you give me this vaccine i have a one in 40 risk of getting autoimmune disease if you don't give me this vaccine i have a one in 43,000 chance of dying of cervical cancer you know is that a good bet plus the you know there's there were many other effects the miscarriage rate and the ovarian failure premature ovarian failure the fertility injuries to these girls were off the charts. Um, the depression, the suicide rates were off the charts. So now, if you look at 2006, when this vaccine was then given population-wide, we saw beginning that year an immediate and dramatic decline in fertility nationwide among teenage girls. And you can go to CNN and they'll say, it's a mystery. Why is the you know, fertility and fecundity rate dropped precipitously? Is it cell phones? Is it social media? What's happening? Why is nobody having babies? Nobody's asking the real question. The 2006, the year began dropping. That's the year they gave them a vaccine population-wide that was demonstrated in its own clinical studies to destroy fertility. They're also the suicide rate. They're saying this is the most depressed group of children we've ever seen beginning in 2006. Suicide rates are off the chart population-wide. What is it? Is it cell phones? Is it social media? Again, nobody's asking the obvious question. Is it the Gardasil vaccine? I'm just telling you, if you're tempted to give your kid that Gardasil vaccine, go to Children's Health Defense website and look at my lecture on Gardasil, where I just take their own clinical studies and go through them panel by panel, slide by slide, and show you what happened. And nobody who watches that video would ever give their child that vaccine. It's just poison. It's a hoax. It's dangerous. I know we're getting to the end of this, um, and I just want to urge people to go to Children's Health Defense, but also follow me on Instagram, because that's where I break a lot of the scientific stories. And, um, you know, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Great. Thank you. Thank you.